Let us pray. Lord, uh, it's interesting how we're going to talk about the devil today, and sometimes he likes to try to thwart what you're doing. So, Lord, we pray you'd bind him in the name of Jesus, and Lord, we pray that Christ would be lifted up. Thank you for this wonderful time to worship you in spirit and in truth. So as we open up your word, speak to your hearts, and help us be forever changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You'll turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, there is one in your pew, or you can watch it on the screen. The past few weeks, we've been on adventure with Jesus. And I don't know about you guys, but I've been on the edge of my seat just studying this and um, the exciting miracles he's done. So I'm looking forward to the next one today. Uh, Before we get into Luke 8, have you guys ever had a really bad day and you knew it was going to be a bad day all day? No matter how hard you prayed, it just seems like the bad day kept coming. Well, this past Friday, as you know, Friday's my day off. It's my fun family Friday. The morning starts off really good. I make pancakes for the kids. We do something called pancakes and PJs. So it's my one one meal of the week to cook because my wife's such a good cook. She lets me cook on Friday morning. So we always have a different pancake. So this this Friday morning was blackberry. So the day started off well. And then we went to Hendersonville. My kids are chomping at the bit every Friday. What are we going to do next, Daddy? So every Friday we do something. So we went to go visit my father-in-law, John. Many of you know he's had a stroke, and thanks for your prayers. Continue to pray for him. So we pull into the parking lot, and as we're getting ready to get out of the van, I smell something. And I've had this, I've smelt this before, and I'm like, oh, dear. So I look over at Lori, and I said, Lori, we're going to have to change Lincoln because, I, you know, go figure, right? Start the day off. So as we check Lincoln, it is not Lincoln. So I start to peruse and, you know, look through the van. What, what is this smell? I don't know where it's coming from. It's got to be something or someone. Everyone else is clear except me. And I find out the smell is coming from me. And I'm going to have to explain. <laughs> Many of you know we have uh, a lot of puppies and dogs and all this right now. And it's an interesting time with the life of the Browns. So on the way to get the kids in the van, I had stepped in a newly mound of dog and, uh, and it got on my shoe. And then as I was looking on the van, it got on the, the van driver's seat. And then I had sat in it and it was on my jeans. So I, I'm here in Hendersonville, a long way from home. I have no way to change my clothes. So I, I did the only thing I know how to do. I, I got in my father-in-law's bathroom and I got some baby wipes and I start wiping my jeans and trying to get the mess off. And I have to get Clorox wipes for the van. And long story short, we got through that. My, my stress level's slowly rising. I'm about a level seven out of ten. And the next thing I know, we pull out uh, and we want to you know, do something a little more fun. And we we go to we're getting ready to head to Flat Rock Bakery, one of my favorite pizza places. And as we pull out of the rehab place. I hear a scraping sound on the van. <laughs> and you guys know the van. It's had some issues lately. So we're like, what now? And my wife's like, I think you pulled too close to the curb. And, you know, so it scraped the bumper. And I was like, well, it'll be all right. So we keep driving. We have a nice pepperoni pizza. And we're enjoying family time. So we get ready to head back home. And on the way back home, the music's cranking. The Browns are having a good time. We've gotten past episode one. And I hear something, and I turn the music off. I was like, sweetie, you hear that? And I was like, that sounds like the bumper is dragging on the interstate. <laughs> so we're driving down 26. 
And the next exit after Hendersonville is the Fletcher exit. So we get off the Fletcher exit, find the first gas station. Sure enough, the bumper had been popped off. <laughs> and it, it, part of the rubber part underneath is dragging on the road. And I try to pop it back in, and I, I can't get it completely on. So I do what any loving husband would do. I go in the, the gas station. It's a small gas station in Fletcher. And I'm going to find some duct tape. Because every man knows duct tape fixes most problems. Because it's a small gas station, they have oil and candy and not a lot to choose from. But I did find some electrical tape. So I show my wife, I found this skinny black electrical tape. She's like, do you think that's going to work? Sure, baby, I got this. So I'm down under the ground. My pants are already messed up at this point, so I don't care about them getting dirty. (laughs) I try to tape it. It's not really working. So I was able to pop it in just enough to make it home safely. And I was like, the Lord has given us this van for sermon illustration because every week the door's falling off, the bumper's falling off. So if you see something dragging, don't worry, it's just the Brown family pull it up. So I feel like this is kind of what the disciples felt like. They had been on the Sea of Galilee. They had almost drowned, except they forgot Jesus is in the boat. So they arrive on the other side hoping to get some rest. And the first thing that meets them is a guy, actually two men, demonically possessed. And it's like, I thought we were going to get a vacation. It'd be like you guys showing up to Myrtle Beach or Charleston and the the guy at the hotel room is like stalking you. I mean, it's like we're trying to get away from this and now we're running into it. So have you ever dealt with a difficult person in your life that just seemed you could not deal with them? Do not point at the person next to you. But they just seemed far beyond the reach of counseling or medicine, that they were just out of it. Well, if you've ever dealt with that, that was beyond your control, this passage helps us to understand how do you deal with things that are, they have to be something sinister. They has to be something more than just, they're, they're a little off. Um, believe it or not, many people do suffer from demonic activity. And I'm going to tell some stories in my life where I've encountered that. But as we read this, we we should read C.S. Lewis' quote. If you look on your listening guide, C.S. Lewis says, There's two equal and opposite errors in which error race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both the errors and hell, the materialist, as well as the magician, with the same delight. In other words... You don't want to fall into the error of you see a demon around on every corner. Every time you have a migraine cluster headache, it's the devil again. It's probably not the devil. It's probably you need to be hydrated or something else. But we don't go to the other extreme where we don't acknowledge the existence of Satan. How could an intellectual, scientific mind even acknowledge the existence of the devil? You, you, you want to avoid both extremes. We want to be aware of the activity of God. But we also want to be aware when there is sinister activity of the devil. So today's big question is this. How do you overcome the darkness in the world around you? How do you overcome it? It's all around. As I was studying for this, uh, one, one theologian made a good point. He said at Jesus' first coming, it seemed like it stirred up the demonic activity. I mean, there was all these demon-possessed people in the Bible, and you're like, we don't see that around. And then he said, have you noticed as it seems like Christ's second coming is approaching, we see a lot, a lot of things being stirred up again? I thought that was insightful. If you look at your passage setting before we jump into it, um, the commentary under uh, about Luke provides five really interesting things about this passage. Number one, this is the first exorcism in Gentile territory. They're crossing to the other side, which is Gentile territory. So this is the first one. 
Number two, it involves multiple possession. So we've seen Jesus cast out a demon before, but in this passage, this is many demons. Number three, it involves a full array of responses to Jesus' ministry. So some people are saying, Jesus, get out of here. The man saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. So you see different responses to Jesus. This miracle continues the sequence of the four miracles we've been reading about. We talked about the storm, Jesus' power over nature. Today we're going to talk about Jesus' power over demons. Next week, his power over disease and death. And finally, this, this passage is quite interesting because it involves earthly creatures other than, than humans. I couldn't think of any other story other than the multiplying of the fish. But this involves pigs. You know, what, what do pigs have to do with people? So we're going to talk about that. So let's jump into the text, starting in verse 26. It says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when Jesus stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. He wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, And with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it often seized him. And he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. And he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Verse 30. Jesus asked the man, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered in him. And they begged him that Jesus would not command them to go out into the abyss. Now a herd of many swine, by the way, Mark tells us 2,000 of them, were feeding there on the mountains. And they begged him that he would, not permit, that he would permit them to enter the swine. And Jesus allowed them. And the demons went out of the man and entered into the pigs, the swine. And the the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. When those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and noticed they found the man from whom the demons had departed. He was sitting at the feet of Jesus. He was clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They also, who had seen it, told them by what means he who had been demon-possessed was healed. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the gatherings asked Jesus to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. And Jesus got into the boat and returned. Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged Jesus that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your own house And tell what great things the Lord has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. May God bless his word. So today we're going to talk about what does it look like when the devil tries to derail your destiny. When the devil tries to derail your destiny. We're also going to talk about how Jesus is the bondage breaker. So number one, if you'll notice, meet a man who is currently in satanic bondage. You know, in our culture, we often like to label stuff other than it has anything to do with the devil. And there are medical issues, and those cannot be minimized. That, that's true. But there are cases where 
people are influenced by evil. And psychologists and doctors will try to put a label other than this is demonic activity. Look at verse 26. It says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when Jesus stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for the long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but was in the tombs. See, here you have the disciples. They have just left the natural storm, and all of a sudden they're entering a spiritual storm. They had just left one really tough situation and entered into another one. Have you ever been there? You just got out of one trial, and now you got out of another trial. You got rid of one health issue, and then there's another health issue. It, it seems like last week's message is so relevant. It's like we're in the midst of storm. So the disciples find themselves. But notice this trial they're in. Jesus was met by a man who was inhabited by demons. And that brings the question, how does someone get demon-possessed? We, we talked about this in the first service, and people discuss different options. But, you know, one of the things is... Demonic possession is rare. I don't think it's an occurrence we see all the time. So don't think that everyone crazy is possessed. It's not always the case. Sometimes the case. But typically someone that's lived such a, a vile life and they've opened them up selves to the cult and things like that. I've heard stories of people playing with Ouija boards. And after that happens, something spiritual happens. And they, they thought it was just a game like calling up you know, spirits, but they didn't realize those were actual spirits. So I warn you, never play with a Ouija board because... You're inviting me a cult. So here's the thing. Satan is real. The Bible says that when Satan rebelled, one-third of the angels of heaven went with him in his rebellion. And you're like, well, how many are one-third? Well, you read in Revelation about the, the, the angels around the throne of God. There are thousands upon thousands, myriad upon myriads. I mean, it, it's millions. So if you take one-third of that and you see there are a lot of fallen angels. So here's the thing. We should not be scared of the devil, because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But we should be aware of his activity. So what does it look like when Satan takes over a person's life? Well, we see this man. Mark tells us that he could not be bound or tamed. So Satan likes to annihilate people, and our world likes to incarcerate people. Have you ever noticed, if we can't control them, we're just going to chain them up. That's the only solution the world has. But Jesus likes to free people. He presents a different solution. So the world tries to drug people and cage up people. And Jesus says, I'm come to set you free. So here's the thing. We need to realize the gospel is what sets people free. The gospel is what changes lives. So Mark tells us that this man and other passages that he cried out day and night. Can you imagine being part of the Decapolis, the Ten Cities? And in the mountains, you hear something like a coyote, except it's not a coyote. It's a crazy man, actually two crazy men screaming out. And they're cutting themselves and they're doing all kinds of stuff. So you see a man who's in satanic bondage. And what does that look like? What well, looks like, for those of you who have been involved in ministry, it looks like someone saying uh, to a teacher, to a pastor, I need you to help me. And in the next moment, get away from me. And it's like, well, I thought you wanted help. Well, they do, but there's this battle inside. I want you to help me. And in the next moment, they're saying, you're crazy, get away. And if you've ever seen that, it's rare, but it happens. The person wants help, but the spiritual battle inside them pushes the help away. Number two, notice what happens when a person's life is taken over by the devil. 
Verse 27, it says, He stepped out on the land, and there met him a man who had demons for a long time. So notice that Satan, he likes to steal life away. If you're looking, you're listening to God, I listed a few things. He steals life away from your years. It said he had been possessed for a long time. Also, it says that he wore no clothes. You ever notice, guys and women as well, you walk across the mall and it seems like our world's getting less and less clothes on? You can't even go on cruising the internet and these pop-up ads all around. Satan's strategy is to have people take their clothes off. That's his strategy. We see it in Scripture. We see it with this man. And we don't know what his thinking was. Maybe he thought, I'm furry. I don't need clothes. Who needs the bounds of clothing? But Satan likes to rob people of their humanity. And notice that it said he did not stay in his house, but he lived among the tombs. Have you noticed in our culture, and especially those who are teenagers or have teenagers, have you noticed the obsession with darkness? Video games that have to do with shooting up things in graveyards. you think that's by coincidence? Or do you think Satan's strategizing? See, this man... He hung around tombs and graves because he was fantasized on the darkness, on death. So I used to, most of you know, I used to be a youth pastor. And it's really sad how many, how many teenagers would cut themselves and just would obsess about death and darkness. And, and you're like, where does that come from? Well, you see situations like this where when Satan's trying to destroy somebody, he gets them to think about darkness. He gets them cutting themselves. He gets them thinking about things that aren't going to help them, but will destroy them. So as Christians, what we've got to do is say, listen, God's got a better plan for you. You don't have to cut yourself. God loves you. You're beautiful. He loves you just the way you are. And I want to encourage all, all dads and granddads to tell your daughters and granddaughters how beautiful they are. They need to hear that. If you don't tell them that, the world will distort what true beauty is. Satan wants to take you from the family yard to the graveyard. He wants to take you from dreaming to dying. He wants to take you from living to existing, from hope to horror. Notice the text says that the guy cried out. He drags you from sanity to insanity. You ever met someone that you thought was just insane? I was reminded, um, some of you may have heard this story, but when I was church planning, I I encountered a lot of people that were out there. I'll tell one story. I was at a Starbucks uh, on Charlotte Street. And, I, you know, as a church planner, you've got to invite people every day hoping that they'll show up because if they don't, you don't have anyone at church because you're just getting started. So I would invite people. I would sit down and have coffee. And I, I talked to this guy, and he gave me this big, long speech on marijuana. So I had to listen to him. And I said, well, thanks for sharing. Can I invite you to church this Sunday? And, you know, just listening to him. And I gave him an invite card to church. And later that day, within the next day, I got a really bizarre phone call, and I went to voicemail, and it, was, it wasn't that guy I gave the card to, it was from his master. And the guy that I gave the card to was this guy's slave, and somehow he was involved in the occult and witchcraft, and the man on my voicemail said, what are you doing inviting my slave to your church, or something to that effect? And I'm like, so he left his, his name, and I googled his name. And I pulled up a MySpace page that had witches and warlocks. And I was like, oh dear. I did not call the guy back. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I'll say a prayer, but uh, you know. So if, that's, that, if you think that's out there, it's there. It's in Asheville. 
Asheville is a, a New Age mecca, and there's witchcraft and there's occult. Um, I remember hearing a story about uh, one of my mentors. There is a, a police or police went to go to uh, this apartment that had drugs, and they found this this really weird thing. The, the, the people were involved in like the occult and witchcraft, and they had a top ten hit list for the famous pastors in town, some of the mega churches, and they were praying ill against those pastors. I mean, this is really stuff that happens in Asheville. So when you see that, Satan likes to turn a healthy fear of God into terror. You notice in this text, the demons speak out and they said, leave us alone. What, what have we to do with you, Jesus? Are you coming to t- torment us? And this is the demon speaking, but doesn't Satan tell that to people who aren't Christians? Jesus just wants to take your fun. He has nothing good for you. And people begin to, instead of having a holy fear, they have a terror of God. They don't want anything to do with God. Satan exchanges your freedom into captivity. Notice this man was in chains. Now this would be a bizarre situation. Can you imagine meeting a man that has superhuman strength? He's been locked up in jail and he can break the chains. I don't know about you, but I'd be hiding behind Jesus saying, protect me for this crazy guy. I'd be like, this is the type of guy that could kill all 12 of the apostles if he wanted to. I mean, superhuman strength. And the devil, notice this is something, the text that really spoke to me the most. He pushed this man away into the mountains and to the wilderness. Did you know that Satan's number one secret tool is isolation? Have you ever noticed when you got hurt by someone in a church, and all of us have been hurt in in our life if you've been in church, if you've ever been hurt by a pastor or a Christian leader, what's the first thing you usually do? Isolate. Did you know that isolation is Satan's secret weapon? Because isolation keeps you away from those who can truly help you. And the more you isolate, the more you get further and further away from the community of faith. So this man, he could have been helped by people in his community, but instead he was pushed further and further away. He was isolated. So realize, 1 Peter 5, 8, this is on your listening guide. It says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like what? A roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. So here's what Satan does. A lion will stalk a prey. And once the the animal gets free from the pack, isolated, that's when it becomes easy prey. He does the same for us. If Satan can discourage you and isolate you, you're easy target to stay always depressed, to stay always down, to stay away from community. So even though you may feel like isolating... That's never part of God's plan. You may go through a wilderness for a season, but you're never to live in the wilderness. Amen. I read a story about a barber. And uh, he was an atheist barber, and he was cutting this guy's hair. And they were, you know, the, the church, you know how it is in barbershops, gentlemen. You, you talk about stuff. And so they started talking about church. And, you know, the atheist barber said, you know, I'd go to your church, but I really don't believe in God because how could, how could a good God exist in a world where there's war, there's poverty? I mean, just look at the third world countries. How could a good God allow that? And as the barber was cutting the gentleman's hair, uh, they looked out a window and there was this disheveled man walking across a little small town. And his hair was all out of sorts, a long, rugged beard. And the pastor said, I thought you were a good barber. And he said, what do you mean? I am. Well, look at this guy. If you're a good barber, how could you allow someone with raggedy hair and a long beard and scraggly walking across the town? 
And the barber said, well, he never gave me a chance. He's never been in my shop. And the pastor said, exactly. The reason why people are the way they are is they reject Christ. They don't give God a chance. So if someone rejects God, they should never blame God for the problems. Amen. Number three, observe the future outcome of Satan and his demons. You notice that we read the scripture, Satan knows his theology. He knows that Jesus is the Son of God. He knows that he's God in the flesh. But having good theology doesn't save you. The sad thing is, the average demon could join the average local church. Because if you have right thinking, you're good, right? Right thinking doesn't change you. It's what you do with it. Just because you know great theology doesn't mean you're changed by it. So learn that lesson. He knows that his future day of judgment's coming. He said, don't send us into the abyss. Now, the, the abyss is like a holding place for demons. And one day we see in Revelation how these demons come out of the abyss. It's like this, this deep pit. So they're like, don't send us into this abyss. And when Jesus asked for the man's name, what does he say his name is? Legion. Which, how many soldiers are in a legion, David Porter? A legion has up to 6,000 soldiers, so three to 6,000 soldiers. So think about that. Some of you have served in the army, military. So what, what this is implying is this man has probably more than hundreds, probably thousands of demons inside of him. And in Mark we see 2,000 pigs went over the cliff. Which, by the way, this is the first example of deviled ham and swine flu. <laughs> Sorry, I had, to, I had to bust out a cheesy pastor joke. So uh, you hear about the swine flu. This is the first time swine's flu. Okay. So you notice... And I wasn't smart enough to come up with this. I got this from another pastor, scholar. But you notice how Satan gave a generic name. He didn't give his real name. He said legion. Legion's a generic term, you know, a Roman military term. Why didn't Satan give out the real name of the demons or the name of the person? Why did he give an anonymous name? Did you ever realize that Satan deals in anonymity? That's why Jesus said, I never did anything in secret. I don't have anything to hide. Satan, on the other hand, he doesn't want you to know everything. You ever heard the saying, the devil's in me? I think we should come up with a better saying, Satan doesn't want you to know the details. Because if you know the details, you see who's behind it. So if anyone has ever sent you an anonymous letter that was hateful, realize who's behind it. Satan deals in anonymity. If it's a godly person, they're going to Matthew 18 you. They're going to talk one-on-one, face-to-face. You know them, you know their name. If Satan's behind it, motivating that person to send you that, they're going to deal in anonymity. Do we have any basketball fans in the house? Okay, maybe a few. I'm one of the, Okay. What happened to the general manager of the 76? Does anybody know? Recently, his name was Brian. He got fired because his wife had a Twitter burner account. And she was saying negative stuff about other players. So it was an anonymous account, different name, pseudo name. So they traced it back to his wife, and they traced it back to him. So this guy lost probably a multi-million dollar salary because of anonymity. So it's like, it's never good to deal with anonymous stuff. If you think something's wrong, you deal with it face-to-face in person. If someone sends you something that's negative, don't read it if it's anonymous, because it's not... If it's anonymous, it's not worth reading. So, have you ever heard people, it may make you think of your high school days, like people are saying, they are saying, but there's never any names, it's they and them. 
That's how Satan deals. He deals in anonymity, anonymous. It's usually one or two disgruntled people in your life. It's usually not a big. So anyways, I hope that would encourage someone. Notice that when Jesus commanded the demons to go, they didn't respond right away. Notice they said, well, what about the pigs? Send us in the pigs. And they delayed obeying Jesus. See, here you have the Son of God commanding the demons, and they're still rebellious to the very end. And that kind of encourages me to the fact that you may be trying to do something good in your family. You may be trying to minister to your children, your grandchildren, and you don't see results instantly. And you're like, why? Just know that darkness is rebellious, and it takes time for it to respond. So don't get discouraged while doing good. Keep on keeping on. Amen? Notice that the demons requested to be sent into to where? To pigs. Unclean spirits seek unclean animals. We know from Old Testament that the pigs, obviously the culture, were in our New Covenant, but that was forbidden because it was considered unclean animal. Unclean spirits seek unclean animals. And you're like, well, why did the demons have to go into something? Because demons are fallen angels, which are spirits. And a spirit doesn't have a body like we have. So spirits think they seek physical things to inhabit, whether it be people or whether it be pigs. So notice the end result. The wages of sin is what? And we see this very illustrated in the pigs. Now, the pigs are not very smart, but they're intelligent to note this thinking. I would rather die than live with demons. That's how bad the demons are. Now, here's, here's the thing about it, folks. Most of the time, Satan comes as the angel of light. He doesn't come as some demonized man. But occasionally, you will see the dark underside of how evil sin is. Usually, sin looks very good. This will make you happier. This will make your life better. It's your best life right now. Go for it. And then there's the hook that catches you. But occasionally, you'll get glimpses of how ugly the devil really is. So... John 10, 10, Jesus summarized it like this. The thief comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. That's what Satan's doing. But I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So if you're dealing with crossroads in your life, your family, your health, your relationships, whatever, here's a set of questions you can ask. This is in your listening guide. Does this build me up or tear me down? Does this make me more like Jesus or like the world? Does this give me peace or make me feel dirty inside? Does this add life or destroy life? Does this line up with my calling or distract from my calling? Does this make me better or does this make me bitter? And finally, number four. I want you to meet a man who has a second chance in his life. I love this story, how this man was restored by Jesus. You notice that he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. What does this make you think of someone sitting at the feet of Jesus? It's the posture of humility, but it's also the posture of learning. This guy who could not learn anything, who could not be tamed, is now learning at Jesus' feet. And we know in the Bible, five is the number of what? Of grace. So I want to give you five things that happened to this man when Jesus' grace encountered him. Number one, Jesus restored his humanity. Notice he was sitting like a person. He he got his dignity back. Number two, Jesus restored his dignity. He was clothed. As I said, Satan's strategy is get people to take off their clothes. You know, you don't need any bounds. Do what you want to do. Notice the man 
try to go away. He didn't want his house. And the idea is like, you don't need a family. Just leave your family. We're not told whether this man had a wife and kids. We're told later that Jesus said, go back to your home. He could have been married. He could have had kids. Number three, Jesus restored his mind. Isn't it a shameful thing for someone's mind to be messed up? I mean, you know, if you had, you, hopefully you never have to choose, but if you had to choose losing your body or your mind, I think most of us would choose to keep our minds. Because I, I just couldn't imagine living without a sound mind. So this guy who heard thousands of voices in his head, screamed out day and night, cutting himself, now his mind is back. He's re-restored back into the creation of God. Number four, Jesus restored his life. You notice Jesus told him to go where? Go back to your house. Go home. Tell your family and friends what great things the Lord has done for you. And Jesus restored his destiny. You know, this, I, this is another thing I, I did not know until I studied this. But Jesus obviously, obviously picked the twelve apostles and they were training with him. But they weren't sent out until after this story. So one scholar brought up a point I'd never seen. This is the first commissioned missionary to go out. This is before the disciples were sent out in twos and the seventy. So the first commissioned missionary in the Gospels was a formerly demonic man. (laughs) So the man went from insane to sane. He went from demonic to disciple, from crazy to called, from broken to whole. Isn't it amazing what the Lord can do in your life? So in my mind, I can just imagine there's a man out with his kids. And all of a sudden, he leaves home one day. And he's gone for several years. But all of a sudden, you've heard the story of the prodigal son. What about the prodigal dad? All of a sudden, after many years, the kids who are now older now, See someone coming. And they didn't realize it, but Daddy is back. And they had heard stories about him screaming, and you know, they've been up there and they couldn't even come near him because Daddy went crazy, but now Daddy is home. Isn't it amazing when Jesus restores a life? He says, Go home. A few concluding thoughts. Not everybody will like the change in you. Isn't it interesting how the worldly culture, they cared more about pigs than they did the person? And I did the math, by the way, on the pigs. If the average pig costs 200 bucks and you lost 2,000 pigs, that's $400,000. So this is potentially almost half a million dollars this community lost. Sorry, guys, no bacon for a long time. You know, it's like, but think about it. When people care more about pigs than people. It showed you where their God was. They said, get out of here, Jesus. We want money. We want things. We don't care about this crazy person. But when you're following Jesus, you know, it's all about the people. It's all about who you're trying to reach and who you're trying to impact. Uh, a few, few thoughts, and we're, we're finished, is uh, upcoming we're going to do some interesting things in the church. September 9th, we're having a fall launch, and both services we're going to try to Get the word out and advertise. And I want to encourage you to start inviting your friends. I think Arden First Baptist is one of the best kept secrets in the community. But it shouldn't be any longer. There's no reason why this church shouldn't be packed every Sunday. So invite your friends. Did you know that reached people reach people? Those who have been reached by Jesus 
reach for Jesus. So take a lesson from this man. The first thing he did, he went back home and he told his family. He told his friends. So other things we're doing is we got an outreach event at Avalon next door September 1st. They're having an end of summer pool party. And our goal is to really just get back to the community. To, to love on the people. To serve the people. So if you guys want to be a part of that, if you want to give a, an offering to that, it's under Missions Outreach. You can just put Fall Launch. We're going to be doing some outreach events. Uh, Miss Glenda is doing a great job planning mission events. So we have a fund called Missions and Outreach, and that's what this is for. And part of the promotion is we're going to invite everyone in the community who can to come to Arden First. Because if they come here, they're going to encounter Jesus, and God's going to do a work. Amen. Your sermon in a sentence, if we could summarize it in one sentence. Jesus is the bondage breaker, and he can set you free today. So if you have any bondage in your life, if you have any heaviness in your heart, any sickness in your body, any worries in your spirit, I want you to know that the same Jesus who spoke peace to the storm, the same Jesus that healed this guy's mind, he can easily handle your situation. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you that your word is powerful and we don't have to sugarcoat it. God forbid that we should water it down, but we just present it as it is. And Father, today we saw a man who was in isolation. We saw a man that thought he didn't need community. And we saw Jesus who healed him and sent him back into community. So Father, I'm praying now for someone that's not in community. They may come to church here, but they're really not accountable to anyone. They're not in a small group. They don't feel like they need it. I pray today that you would speak to them and say, you need community. Isolation is not good for you. As the believers continue to pray, there may be someone here today that you've just got a spirit of heaviness. You've got a physical need. In just a moment, we're going to ask you to come and we're going to pray for you at the front. If there be one here today that's never received Jesus, your life is empty and you know it. And you believe that Jesus, He died for you. He rose again on the third day. He died in your place so that you wouldn't have to spend an eternity apart from Him. If that's you, right where you're sitting, say, Jesus, I don't want my life to be empty anymore. I give my life to you. I repent of my sins. I pray you forgive me. I turn from them. I believe that you died and you rose again so that I could have new life. So Jesus, come into my life. Give me a new life. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, we want to welcome you to the family, the family of God. Father, hear our prayers now as we come before you. In Jesus' name, amen. This time, if you'll stand, we're having a closing song.